Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Right now, there's a war on home ownership. All you have to do is open the newspaper, if you still read one of those, turn on the TV, read a news article online, and see articles against home ownership. But on the flip side, you have real estate agents out there talking about it's always a great time to buy a home. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into the idea of this war on home ownership. Why are people out there preaching against home ownership? And also talk about the flip side, those that are always talking about it being a great time to own a home. So Josh, where do we start? So two, three times a week, one of us is triggered by something in our Google feed, just a, a crazy headline. Like everything, there's generally a, a grain of truth. There's something there that got started with, there's sure. we talk about a million times on the show. Most journalists are really young. Most really young people don't own. They don't have a long time frame, a frame of reference. So they're taking a current piece of information, news, and blowing it into something it's not. So the one that, that really started or gave us the idea on this one, I sent you an article from the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal is, is, is as vanilla, middle of the road, non-controversial as you're going to find today in American media, at least. They threw up one on the 11th here a couple days ago, the math for buying a home no longer works. And you're going to see in the scope of the war on homeownership, that's pretty mild. I have here from the Atlantic back in July, the myth of homeownership, why owning a home doesn't always make sense. We have one from May, is owning a home still a dream or a debt trap? Another one from the same author, he really likes traps. A 30-year trap, the problem with America's weird mortgages. That was from November mm -hmm. uh, of this year in the New York Times. And he's talking about the 30-year fixed mortgage, Jeb, that has prevented Americans while the rest of the world was suffering with rapidly increasing adjustable rate mortgages. Yes, we have a problem with lock-in for current homeowners, but those homeowners aren't at risk of losing their home or having to sell because they can no longer afford it. We have another one here. American exceptionalism resides in AI, not pink houses. That's from Bloomberg. The hidden costs of home ownership beyond the mortgage payment. Actually, these two guys did that last week, Jeb. We covered that in, in detail. So there's some truth to that. You hear this one all the time, Jeb, is renting the new American dream. For some, it makes more sense than buying. And at least there's some nuance there. For mm -hmm. some, it makes more sense. That would be true. We get into the crazy ones here. The environmental impact of home ownership. Are we building ourselves into a crisis as if renting a home is more environmentally friendly than owning? The social costs of single family zoning, how our housing policy creates inequality. So therefore, we have a socialist there who would like us all to live in communal housing so that everyone has an equal home. And then the last one here, the rise of co-living, a new approach to housing affordability and community, because people don't want to live on their own. They want to co-live. We don't dream of growing up and getting out and getting a place of our own. We would like to go live with people other than our family and co-live with them. Well, like you said, with every article out there, there's always some truth in each of them. And, and in many cases, it's something in the article that creates the headline, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly what the headline is, but th the context, the idea there is that there's something in the article that led to that headline. I mean, one that's not even in our scope here, but we just recently talked about this week, Josh, was the idea that Redfin 
is calling for prices to fall in 2024. And then you go read the article and they're expecting a 1% decline. Okay, yes, prices, I guess that's fall. I mean, depends on what your definition is in some of these cases, whether or not the headline is actually true. But kind of circling back to what we're talking about here, it's coming back to the question that we've been talking about many times in many different episodes. It, is homeownership the right path? Is it the right path for you? Is now the right time? Is it always a great time? When is the best time? Like all of these things, these are the things that you should be thinking about as a homeowner, as a potential homeowner, as a home buyer. We talk about the idea of renting versus owning. Josh, sometimes it makes more sense to rent. Right now, maybe one of those times, depending on housing affordability. We actually dug into it in one of our previous episodes with Barry Habib, where he went through the rent versus own, you know, calculator that he has in his software. And yeah, right then, that day, it it made a little bit more sense. But once you start looking three, five, seven, 10 years down the line, that's no longer the case. And, you know, we've talked about that from a different perspective, but good place to start. A very good place to start. Another article that you sent just in the last week, Jeb, the one uh, that said 44% of single family oh. <laughs> homes last year were bought by corporations. I don't even it's know just, where that headline came from. I, I'm not sure. There's news. not 44% of anything that, that exactly. was purchased that's last year. That's such fake news. You don't even know what you're talking about. So with that, let's take a look at where are these people coming from? And let's also put it into context that we saw these articles in 2008, 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. references to a lost generation of home ownership. Hey, these people are going to have to live in their parents' basements forever. They have a bunch of student loans. They saw their parents lose homes. So I don't know how their parents had a basement, maybe a rented basement for them to live in. But we were told that home ownership was never going to get back to the historical levels. And we talk about it in the show, it's, it's roughly at any given time, plus or minus 65% of American households mm -hmm. own their home and about 35% or one third rent. And that had gone up due to crazy pro-homeownership policies in the late 90s, early 2000s. That had gone up to about 68, 68 and a half, almost 69%. And through a lot of those people losing their homes, it went down almost as far as 62%. But what we saw is when things normalized, when those folks got out, got a job, started paying their student loans, got a husband, got a wife, had some kids, they wanted to own a home. And now we're back to the flip side of we went from a period in 2010, 2011, 2012, when it was cheaper to own than rent almost everywhere in the country if you could scrape up a minimum down payment. And at that time, what the media was telling everyone is, you know what, everyone's scarred and no one can do this. And many people did. By 2015, we had kind of got back to what the numbers were like. And from there, over the last seven, eight years, we've had a big run up. So really, Jeb, what is the primary objection to homeownership right now? It's a good and valid one for mm -hmm. many people. And that is affordability. If you cannot qualify for the mortgage to buy a home that makes sense, no one should tell you, hey, in your area, an entry level home is $700,000. You qualify for $500,000. Go buy a two bedroom condo that's not gonna work long-term for your family. So we have that issue. Affordability is a real thing. The mm -hmm. affordability issue or the affordability crisis is a real thing. Here in California, Jeb, we're under 20% affordability. We're 15, 15%. Yeah. So that tells you that many people don't have that option. So now remember, 65% of the people already own. They're insulated from that. So really, there's only 35% of the people that are potential buyers, 
but many of them don't qualify. Now, just in the last month, the last 90 days has really been a whipsaw for us, Jeb. I was looking at the bond chart and we talk on the show when you're thinking in terms of lock or float decisions, when you see a big move in direction one way or the other, rates going up, rates going down, it's not a, a straight line. It's a stair step. It'll go up, it'll give a little back. It'll go up again, give a little back. Well, we didn't see that. In the last 90 days, we saw pretty much a straight line up from high sixes, low sevens to eight. And then now we've seen a straight line down back into the, the high sixes. So when we come from a period of 3% interest rates, no one's telling you to get excited over a 6.75 or maybe a 6.5 if you're doing a government loan. I locked one today at 6% on an FHA. If you say, is anyone getting excited about that? No. Does that fix affordability? No. If the prices of that home were still the same as two years ago, you're going to have double the payment or close to it because you have double the interest rate on that. So affordability is an issue. So for many people, it's not even an option. Go back and use that same example, Jeb. You need a $700,000 home to be in the area that you want to be, the amenities you need, the size that you need for your family, and you qualify for 525 or 550 because of these higher interest rates. It's not even an option to buy. But what we can't say is homeownership is dumb, never makes sense, and we put that out of our mind. If that is the situation you're in, you need to think what has to change, and we talk about this also, Jeb, all the time, there's three things that can change. Interest rates can come down, home prices can come down, wages can go up. Over time, wages can and do go up. We've been seeing those numbers increasing with inflation. Rates have come down. If you look at the Fed meeting yesterday, the expectation is that rates will go down more. The question is how much? Not going back to where they were, but over time, this always normalizes. If we look at affordability, that chart doesn't always stay at an all-time low or run up to an all-time high. It's moving and, and fluctuating. So with that, what are your thoughts in terms of mindset of someone hearing all of this negativity towards homeownership and realizing maybe they don't even qualify today? Maybe it's not an option even if they wanted to. No, it's exactly what you said. A lot of this stuff we've talked about before, affordability is an issue and you can't create something out of nothing. So if you truly can't afford to buy a home, that's okay. It's not like, hey, stop listening to the podcast, stop educating yourself, you're never gonna become a homeowner. It's, hey, right now, you're not gonna become a homeowner. Set a plan, set a goal, and work on those things. It's this idea like we teach our kids, or not we, me and my wife. I try, I try to teach your kids as much as I can. Well, when they can't do something, you know, they say something, they say, I can't do this, and we say, now, you, you can't do this now doesn't mean you can't do it later. You just, you're not able to do it right now. You'll be able to do it at some point in the future. And I think doing things like educating yourself on homeownership, the things that you can control will help lead you to a better position to be able to take advantage of those things when the opportunity presents itself. But Josh, I also, while we're talking about the whole financial thing around affordability, another thing that often comes up during the, the, the conversations about owning a home is that it never makes sense to own. You should always rent because there's additional fees. Once you own a home, it, there's always fees. Your taxes are going to go up if you live in states outside of California. So that's not a fixed cost. Your insurance is going to increase. That's not a fixed cost. It's always going to go up. You're going to have maintenance on your house. When something breaks, you have to fix it. Versus if you rent, the idea is that, hey, I call my landlord. My landlord comes in. He takes care of it. She takes care of it. I don't have to do anything. So when I say that, Josh, maintenance costs, what are your thoughts? Is that a barrier? Should that be a barrier? It's not a barrier. It is something to be considered because let's look at it this way. People are going to say, you sound like a broken record, Josh, but it's a fact that will always remain a fact. Not only are 65% of American households homeowners, 
They have 40 times greater net worth and 50% of that is in home equity. That is a financial outcome, not 100% caused by home ownership, but highly correlated to home ownership, despite the fact that all those things you said are correct. Taxes will go up over time. Insurance will go up over time. You are responsible for maintenance. There is no landlord to call. From that perspective, I compare it to a 401k. About 10 years ago, they changed the laws around 401ks, where when you get a new job, your employer can automatically opt you in. It used to be they'd have to ask you, do I want to be in the 401k? Do I not want to be in the 401k? What they found is when they opt you in at a 3% or a 5% contribution, you don't miss that money. You live off the 95 to 97% of your income, and you're actually saving and investing. That is what happens with homeowners. They don't become magically more disciplined. Mm -hmm. They just know that if I want to keep this house and not go back to being a renter, I have to make my mortgage payment every month. A portion of that amortizes the mortgage, goes towards principal, and, and I owe less. So I'm building up equity. Over time, not every year, not every month, not guaranteed, but over time, in every 10-year period, we've seen home values have gone up. So my equity is growing from appreciation. I'm having this forced saving. So it is very similar to getting opted into a 401k. It, in essence, forces discipline on you. I mean, I guess technically we've all have a friend or maybe their parents when we were growing up that they just didn't maintain their home. They owned it and you'd go over there, holy geez, they got a million things they need to do. So you have the option of not doing it, financially still probably better off than yeah. renting and not owning it. But most people find a way to scrape up the money to get it done. It is enforced discipline of making you save and having this leveraged investment that grows over time. We talk about this all the time, Jeb. We get people that logically wanna tell us, hey, I have the spreadsheet, I can show you. Historical returns have been this much. It's this much cheaper to rent versus own. Today, they never take into account how much less it is, and we'll go through those numbers here in a second, to own over the long haul. But they'll say, well, today it's less. So if I save the difference and I invest and get this historical return, the thing that it assumes is that everyone has that discipline. Some people do. There's no arguing with those spreadsheets. We can all pull one out and build a model that says, hey, I can arrive at retirement just as well off as a renter, as an owner. It requires discipline and skill in saving and investing, and most people don't have that. So your question was specifically related to these additional costs. They are real. Anyone that tells you they don't exist is a liar. What I'm saying is it's sort of like kids. I don't have them. Most people choose to have kids knowing they're going to be an expense and a burden because the benefits of having children outweigh whatever financial cost there is there. And, and, so I, and, what, and one thing I'll add to a comment you said that made me think about something is that, you know how many homes I've sold where I've walked in and the places have been complete disasters? Like they haven't done a thing since they bought the house, but yet they own it free and clear or they have a ton of equity that they're just sitting on cash. Even if they don't do a thing to sell it, they still walk away financially rewarded from having bought that house when they did and owning it over the long term. So, you know, there are times when these headlines are accurate, right? I mean, the idea of being a renter versus being an owner, you know, we've talked about it before. If you're planning on moving within a year or two, don't plan on being stable. You don't have a stable job. Josh, we get a lot of young uh, adults graduating college, wanting to become a homeowner. And I think that's the right mindset, but thinking that they have to do it as soon as they graduate. And for a lot of people, maybe that's the right decision, but for a lot of people, it's probably not the right decision because chances are you're going to get a new job. You're going to relocate in some cases for that job, for a relationship, for different things in life. And if you don't have the longer term time horizon, 
and you're planning on buying properties here, selling them, doing that sort of thing without holding on to them, these are things you have to consider. It's not always a great time to become a homeowner. Josh, we've talked about it before. You've got examples of clients that have purchased when it wasn't the best time to purchase, but because they held the property an extended period of time, they're fine. They're in a much better position today than they would have been had they continued renting. It's kind of a, a case-by-case evaluation. You have to self-evaluate. And, and if you're planning on buying a home right now, you have to plan on being in that home five, seven, 10 years for most people out there because there, there's that possibility that you're not going to see the appreciation that you've seen over the last couple of years. So Josh, we can start talking about home ownership, why it, it is what it is. Let's revisit that story of my wife's uh, friend's parents, because we've talked about it from one angle. There's another angle that I want to talk about. So the most important thing was they knew that they were buying at, at a market peak. I presented them with a ton of data saying that there's a lot of bad loans out there and we were seeing cracks in the system. And they said, don't care. We've rented forever. If we had bought the home that we rented, we would have owned the home free and clear by now and paid less than we paid to rent. So our plan is we're going to buy this. We are never going to move. We're going to retire and have this home paid off in 30 years. And they were about their early forties then. God, that's old. And early seventies and the others in the late sixties. So they were in their early forties at that time. And it's been about 20, almost 20 years. So yeah, late sixties and early seventies for the older one right now. And both are retired. Either way, they had the right mindset and they said, I don't care about short-term fluctuations. I know over the long haul, it's going to go up. I'm going to pay it down. I'm taking a fixed rate. I have a good job. I have good credit. I can afford it. So from a solidity, a financial base, they're like, we can do this and we can weather a storm and they can, and they did. But the other thing is not all situations are similar. People accuse us here on the show and on the live show and on your channel, Jeb, of being permables, all being that person that says it's always a great time to buy. It's not always a great time to buy, but people will buy even when the timing isn't perfect, just like those folks did. But the important part is to say that not all markets are the same. 2006, 2007 was vastly different than today. I, I literally have documentation, including a write-up in the Las Vegas Review Journal of a white paper that a financial advisor and I wrote advising people, sell any non-core holdings in real estate, refinance into fixed rate if you're any, in any adjustables for real estate that you want to keep and get ready for a little bit of a winter here. And it's cute in retrospect, Jeb, we thought prices could drop as much as 20%. Most areas we saw 40, 50% drops. But the thing that I wanna say is, Many of our negative, pessimistic commenters online are saying, oh, this is going to make 2008 look like it was nothing. And it's literally one of the most ignorant statements you could ever make. Because if we saw something that made 2008 look like it was just a blip, then the world is over. That's the type of financial chaos that we're in. That was called the Great Recession for a reason. It was the worst economy since the Depression. And it was caused and led by housing. Like it's sort of, you know, the further we get away from the Holocaust, people will make bad comparisons or references to it and they'll get in trouble because you're further from it. You didn't live through it. You don't know how horrific it was. 2007, 2008 was worse than people remember. Don't just look at the big short. There's several podcasts, 10, 20 episode series that you can hear. Like it was gnarly, like way worse than most people think or remember. And we will never see anything like that again. So could we see a correction? Absolutely. It's unlikely for all the reasons that we go through here on the show, a significant correction, 20%, 25%. But looking at that, you have to know what's my horizon, what is my plan going forward, and what do I think is going to be. And you don't have to listen to Jeb or Josh. There's lots of good data out there. What we're saying today is 
don't look at articles written by 28 year old journalists who've never owned a home who look at affordability and they're scared and they're worried that they're never going to be able to own a home. So they're writing these very negative articles that can lead to people making poor decisions or putting it off entirely. You may make the valid decision that now is not the right time for you to buy a home. Mm -hmm. But my take is always, you should be working on becoming the type of person who in the future, when it is right, can successfully become a homeowner. Because even if you decide that time never comes, what are you doing? You're keeping your credit in line. You're keeping your savings in line. You're investing for the future. You're doing all the things to build a solid financial future that you would have to do if we said, hey, homeownership's illegal. No one can become a homeowner that isn't today. What are the things that you would do? Those are the things that you would do to prepare for homeownership and you should be doing them regardless. Now, and when you're paying attention to these articles, if you're one of those people that likes to read, likes to educate yourself and you want to get a different perspective, because I think it's important than just listening to a podcast and you have people making comments, negative comments about homeownership or the direction of homeownership or house prices or whatever, just dig a little bit deeper. Why? Why are they saying those things? But what are they basing it off of, right? Don't go on a video that I put online and start reading the comments because every comment is based off somebody's thoughts. It's their theory of, of, of what is going to happen versus actually basing it on real life things of, of, of why housing is as stable as it is at the moment. You, you need to take into account things like inventory, demand, interest rate, wages, demographics. I mean, these are all of the things that they should be putting into their article and in order to create their base case for why things are going the way they're going and, and have some reason or some theories on how these things are going to change so that it would change the direction of housing, right? I mean, we're in the position that we're in because we had a low supply of inventory going in to the pandemic to start. And then you had all of these people being pulled forward because of lower mortgage rates, an increase in wages, demographics playing into it, you know, more millennials becoming first time home buyers. So all of those things playing a part into it. And so now what you're doing is you got more equity in the system than you've ever had before. You've got nearly 40% of homeowners owning their homes free and clear. And then you've got nearly 70%, I think, of homeowners sitting on an interest rate below 4% when we're today somewhere in the six and a half percent range, still with record low level of inventory. So yes, housing is unaffordable in many regards. And I understand the take on that. But to say that things are going to change on that landscape, you need some sort of, of argument on how all of the things that I just talked about are going to change in order to create that. So when you're reading the headlines, try to dig a little bit deeper, right? We talk about context. I talk about context all the time because it's important. It's easy to read the headline and just go off on a whim and get all pissed off that, God, I cannot believe that Jeb said that home prices are going to go up. I cannot believe that without reading how we think that's going to happen. Jeb, what would you say? 80% of the, the negative, bitter, unhappy comments are from people that you can tell didn't watch the video. No, they, absolutely. They were, they were absolutely. triggered by a thumbnail, a headline, whatever, a, a title. And I get it. I'm not even mad at those people. It's an emotional response to a bad situation. They want something or want something in the future, and they don't believe they're going to be able to get it. Believe it or not, Jeb and I put on our happy faces when we get in front of the cameras, but there's some negative talk here in our office. You know, you say in terms of, pulling that demand forward by having these ultra low interest rates, keeping no, rates forward. low. 
I didn't say forward. Ford. I said forward. Ford. You pulled it into the Ford. That's yeah. how you say it in, yeah. in North Carolina. Yeah. But pulled it forward in time. So we had more sales in a time frame when there was less supply available. So prices went higher than they needed to. And some people won the lottery and got into that time. And now people who it just wasn't right in, in their timeline. We had a comment last night on the show, Jeb. Someone made a good joke, says, what a loser I am. I should have bought in 2010, but instead I was busy graduating third grade. And there's truth to that. That was the ideal time to buy. It wasn't an option for an eight-year-old. So if you were 20 and in your senior year of college, you weren't going to buy in 2020. Well, now you're 23 or you're 26 and the time is right. And you're looking going, what did I do wrong? You did nothing wrong. That emotional response, that anger, I get it, but it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything. These are the hands that, that we have been dealt. So we're going to play them going forward, whether it's a mortgage professional, whether it's a realtor, whether it's you as a non-owner wanting to become an owner. That drive to become a homeowner that, that leads 65% of households to own a home is not going to go away. So we have to take a look at this. And I think one of the things, Jeb, that gets lost in the discussion is this belief that renting is cheaper than owning and that stays static. So I ran some numbers. I looked up three properties. I looked up a $350,000 home in my favorite, Omaha, Nebraska. I looked up a $500,000 home in Sacramento and a $750,000 home in Atlanta. And we're using some rough numbers here. We used Zillow, their rent estimate, it, which is generally fairly accurate. Is it dead on? No, it's not. So that $350,000 house is $2,600 to rent. It's $2,850 to own right now. So a very small difference between the two. Now, now when you say flat, own, let, let's give some context. What kind of down payment are we putting on that property? Are we including taxes and insurance? What, what's in that number that I we're talking I stacked about? the deck against us in every regard, Jeff. Okay. That is no down, even though that's not an option. That's a $350,000 mortgage to okay. buy a $350,000 property. That is a 7% interest rate, which when we started thinking about this episode was what rates were. Now that interest rate on a $350,000 loan is probably six and a half for most borrowers, but that's 7%. That includes taxes at one and a quarter percent. Some parts of the country are higher than that. So that could add another 50 or $100 there. And it also includes your homeowner's insurance, which if you're in a disaster prone area, could be more than that. So let's say the range on that payment is anywhere from 2,800 to 3,000, where the rent is probably anywhere from 24 to 2,700. But if we look at that, the rent does not stay stable. I went back and looked 35 years in time or 30 years in time back to 1993. You go, that's 30 years ago? That yeah. Someone took out a mortgage, ago. never Holy refinanced, cow. paid that thing down. Their house would be paid off this year. As crazy as that sounds. But their rent back then has gone up 3.27% over those 30 years. That's a national average. Some markets have gone up more. Some have probably gone up less. But if we just flash forward year by year, 3% increases. And it won't go up in a straight line, but over time, that's likely what it's going to be. In five years, so in 2028, you're looking at a $3,000 rent payment. And the person that owns that home is still gonna be at 2850, maybe 2900 taxes and insurance go up. But more likely what we're seeing, what the Fed was indicating yesterday from their forward look is that person is gonna refinance from seven to six or five and a half. If we take it down to five and a half, their payment drops down to $2,500. So even though a portion of it is increasing, it's a short-sighted view to say renting makes more sense. And if we flash forward 30 years, Jeb, what do you think that $2,600 rent with 3% annual increases becomes at, at year 30? Ooh, well, in, in five years, it went up, what, 400 bucks? So let's go 5,800. $6,300. <sighs> at the same point that the owner is paying off their mortgage, 
And let's say their taxes and insurance have doubled and they're paying $900 between taxes and insurance, $1,200 taxes and insurance. You're looking at a $6,300 rent payment for that $350,000 home. At $500,000, the story is not all that different. You see a bigger discrepancy because that $500,000 home in Sacramento rents for $2,800, but that mortgage is about $3,800. So $1,000 difference. It's a bigger discount to rent, bigger incentive to rent. But in five years, in 2028, $3,245 on the rents at 3%. And if you get an opportunity to refinance in the next five years to a five and a half rate, it's $3,336. So somewhere in the next five to six years, the, the calculus flips and the owner has a lower payment. And when you're looking at that rent becomes $6,800 in 30 years. So, so Josh, a little off topic. So what, the person that's listening to this goes, okay, so if rates are going to go down in, in, in a couple of years, why don't I just wait and buy that same $500,000 house in five years at the five and a half percent rate? Is it's, that a possibility? Really, it is. And, and it's not only a valid choice. It's a decision that's going to be forced on a lot of people because they don't have the ability to do it right now. In five years, they're likely to make more money. We are of the belief that home prices will be marginally more expensive then, but rates will be lower. So the payment's not going to be significantly better. You're going to have missed 60 months of amortization of paying that loan down, and you're going to have 60 months of appreciation that you're going to be paying on the upside. So in general, I don't say rush into home ownership. I say buy a home as soon as it makes sense for you, that all of those boxes are checked in terms of financial stability, relationship stability, geographic stability, and the desire to own a home and be there for five, preferably seven or more years. Now, I know you got one more example, but I'm going to throw another question at you before you do it. What do you say to the person that says, well, in the first five years, all you're doing is paying interest anyway, like you're barely even ignorance. paying the principal down? It's just ignorance. There's amortization calculators online. That is absolute and total ignorance. When we look at it, you're paying, it varies by interest rate. So the higher the interest rates go, the less you're paying in principle early on. So when rates were at 3%, you were paying a significant portion in that first 60 months. It is still significant, but on that $500,000 purchase, if I remember, you're paying about $60,000 over the first five years. That's real money. I've had people tell me that's nothing. Nothing. Do you have a spare $60,000 sitting around? You have $8. Why are you telling me $60,000 is nothing? <laughs> you had an overdraft last month. Why are yeah. we having this conversation? And those are literally the people that I'm having the, this debate with online. And I get it. it. It sucks. It's hard. But what we're trying to do is give you context to say the people that are buying the 3.7, 3.9 million U.S. homes that will be sold this year, who's buying them and why are they? These are the reasons they're able to do it and it makes sense for them. Not a problem. It doesn't make you a bad person if you're not willing or able to do that today. It just means plan, prepare and no, be ready sure. when you do. And Jeff, that last example at 750, it doesn't matter. It's 3,500 to rent, 5,300 to own in Atlanta, Georgia. So now bigger difference, $1,800, even easier to say, ah, I'm not doing that. I'll just rent this nice house for 3,500 bucks. Yep. Well, again, that goes up to 8,600 in 30 years. And the differential goes away instead of at year six, it's somewhere around year 10 to 12, depending on whether there is a, an opportunity to, to refinance. So the more expensive of a market you are in, the easier the temptation is to say, hey, renting makes sense. And it may push that break even out further, depending on what happens with interest rates and home prices going forward. But for the most part, there is a reason why real estate ownership is desired and known as a hedge against inflation. We know inflation is coming. The last 30 years have been a really low inflationary period and rents went up 3%. They could go up more. That one article we talked about earlier in the show, Jeb, says a bug of the U.S. housing market is a 30-year fixed mortgage. 
ask the guy that has the, the 3% loan. And in 15 years, when his house is doubled and he's got a 3% interest rate, he's going to say, there's no world in which I could own. If I look around my neighborhood, yeah. half of my neighbors couldn't own in our neighbor now, neighborhood now. No, that's the case now. We've got people that bought two years ago, Josh, that don't qualify for their house today because of how much it appreciated because of the rate that they were able to get at that time. Now, luck, dumb luck for all of those people. I mean, for the most part, it right? It doesn't I mean, make them good or smart and it no, doesn't make you dumb no, no, or bad no. for not being in. I got lucky. I bought my house in 2012, the house that I just sold. I wasn't thinking, hey, this house is going to be worth you know X amount in so many years. It was like, I'm getting married. I had been married, having our first child. We need a place to call home. Like We want to raise our family. We want a place for the kids, kid, whatever was the plan to, to be able to go outside and ride a bike and just kind of have a neighborhood feeling and stable, be stable, not having to move around and be vulnerable to other people's decisions. I tell my kids, focus on what you can control. Control the controllables. What can I control? As a homeowner, I know what my mortgage payment's going to be, right? As a renter, I have so many friends that have been in properties for extended periods of time, and then they get a call. Hey, we're selling the house or we're moving back in. And guess what? They now have to go find a new place to live, rent, and all a landlord has to do is give you 30, 60 days notice in most cases. And your world is literally flipped upside down, which means in some cases, new school for the kids, just all of these things. And I'm not sitting here saying that's always the case. I'm just telling you that a lot of it's luck. I bought because it was the right time in my life. And that's something we often preach on the show, Josh. Jeb, let's, let's talk about the flip side of that though. And what a, a listener can take from this. Yes, the luck found you, but you did the work to put yourself in the way of good fortune. And that's what we're saying. So if homeownership is not a reality for you right now, doesn't mean life's a failure. doesn't mean you're never gonna become a homeowner. doesn't mean that homeownership is the be all end all. What I would say is do the things you need to do to stack the deck in your favor, because we've seen this movie too many times, three, four, five times in the last 40, 50 years, where everyone's saying, oh, homeownership's dumb, never makes sense, no one's gonna own a home, we're gonna be a renter nation. And within 10 years, that turns around, people's lives change, either they change or the economy and the housing market changes and it becomes a reality for them. Or they adjust and move on and find success either way. What I'm saying is don't be that negative person who's emotionally making outbursts and commenting on every housing video saying, you're an idiot, the government sucks, we need free houses, we need this, that, the other, because it doesn't fix anything. Just become the person that you want to be. Make a plan, work your plan, and be ready when the opportunity comes, because at some point it will. Change your philosophy, change your life, right, Josh? So if you're watching this, wanting to become the homeowner, maybe you're already in the process, you're having conversations with lenders, with real estate agents, you want another opinion, you want to talk to a mortgage professional, just see Options are maybe you're not even that far down the road. Just want to explore the idea of whether or not it makes sense. You can check the referral link in the description of the video. We'll put you in touch with somebody like Josh. Could be Josh directly, depending on where you're located. They can kind of walk you through that process. Talk the numbers. See if it makes sense for you. And if not, help you determine when it might be the right time and what you can work on during that time. And the same thing for a real estate agent. Maybe if you're in the process, you need a real estate agent to help guide you through that journey of homeownership. That referral link will get you to somebody anywhere in the country that can guide you through there. Again, if it's here locally, it will be me or someone on my team. But Josh, where do you want to end today's episode? What should people be thinking about other than the positive aspect of it, right? I mean, we've talked about that. The, what's the war on homeownership really mean? What does it really mean? Be careful what information you take in. Do your research. Take into account the source. 
if you're reading something in a magazine or a newspaper, look at the author. Most of them are on LinkedIn. Most of them have a bio. And you can see this person's 28 years old and never owned a home. And they're a little mad at the where things are. Just consider that. So don't discount it. Don't mean they're wrong or awful or a bad person. It means take into account everything. I will say this. Everyone in the world is biased. I'm biased. Jeb's biased. Hey, You're watch biased. it. You're biased. So know what your biases are, know what the people whose information you're consuming, what their biases are, and come to your conclusion. That's what we're all here for. Take personal accountability. You are the one that is responsible for your future success. Do your research, educate yourself, make a plan, work your plan. There you go. So with that, Josh, what I will say is that it's not always a great time to buy a house right? It depends on the factors in your life. If you check all the boxes, fantastic. If you don't, that's okay too. Work on what you can control, control the controllables, like I said, and just work on becoming the person that you want to become and ultimately set yourself up for success. But in the meantime, buy right, borrow smart, build wealth. We'll see you next episode. Adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.